Hey, Firelife family. I hope you enjoyed the worship. I'm glad you joined us again this week online to celebrate Easter. Uh, I just want to bless you and your family. Thank you so much for being with us on this Resurrection Sunday. You know, this is the why for everything that we do. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Romans 5, verses 12 through 21 in the NIV, and we'll get there in just a moment. And if you'll remember back a few weeks ago, we did a podcast with Mandy and uh, Kyle, and we talked about this being an opportunity for us to have a reset, to go back to the roots and find the things that really matter and get re-centered and let the excess go in life. And so I pray that that's been happening for you, that you found your true north, that your anchor has been steadied and set. And um, today we're just going to continue with that theme, but I want us to celebrate and focus on the whole reason why we're we're Christians, what makes us different than any other religion in the world. Um, And that's because Jesus was actually a real man and he was crucified. Like every claim he made about himself was true. And about 2,000 years ago, Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was found guilty of crimes that he didn't commit. Not one time in his trial did he utter one word and say, I'm innocent of all these charges. You've got the wrong guy. He silently was led, and the Bible says that this would happen. It was a prophecy in Isaiah that he he would be led like a sheep to the slaughter. He wouldn't utter a word. So Jesus fulfills that prophecy as he's brought before this court and this trial, and they're making false accusations. And to make it even worse, these accusations were coming from his own people. So this is a real historical event. This is not a story, a fairy tale. Jesus actually was arrested. He was betrayed by one of his own disciples that he spent time with for three and a half years, raising the dead, doing miracles, loving on one another, healing the sick, casting out demons. Judas was with him that whole time, and that same Judas betrayed him in the garden. And he becomes arrested. His disciples are thrown in disarray. And Jesus goes before them, and they, they turn him over and say, we don't, we don't want to make a decision. The Roman court was like, we don't want any hand in this. And Pilate washed his hands of it and sent him off. And the Jewish people decided, yeah, this man needs to be crucified. So Jesus allowed this process to continue. And he was taken in. He was found guilty. And they they beat him, they stripped him of his clothes, they took a cat of nine tails, and has nine distinct ends on this cat of nine tails with bones and glass and anything that would grab the flesh. I, I know it's graphic, but it really happened to our Savior. And these things were tied to this whip, and they beat him 39 times with this whip. And every time it would grab his flesh and they would pull it back, it would rip his flesh open. He really went through this. Jesus, a real man, who feels the same things that we feel, literally was beaten with a cat of nine tails. They punched him. They grabbed his beard and pulled it out. They spit upon him. They insulted him. They called him names. They said, if you're really the son of God, then why is this happening to you? If you're really Jesus, the Messiah, then why are you letting this happen? Why why are you allowing people that have less power than you overpower you? But Jesus didn't say a word. They, They continued to beat him and scourge him. Then they take a cross and they tell him to carry his own cross up a hill. So Jesus already dying, already losing so much blood that he was already dying and he was probably in and out of consciousness, grabs this cross and he starts to carry it up this hill and he falls and he can't carry it. And the Bible says that an Ethiopian man grabbed the cross and carried it for him up the hill. 
So as Jesus is brought up, he finally reaches the pinnacle of this hill called Golgotha, the, the place of the skull. They lay him on this cross and they spread him out. <clears throat> they take each hand and they take nails and they crucify him to the cross. They put his feet together and they do the same thing. They nail these nails through his feet and into the cross. And they raise the cross up and they drop it into the ground. And as it drops into the ground, it rips the flesh in his hands. And in pain, Jesus cries out. And this really happened. This is a real story. Jesus was crucified. As he's on the cross, the Bible says that he looked up into heaven and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, in that moment, he felt the loneliness. He felt the distance from God. He felt what hell is really going to be like, the absence of God's presence, God turning his back on his own son so that you and I could be free, so that you and I could be set free from our sins. But Jesus on this cross looks up, and then he says these amazing words. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And the Bible says that after he made that statement, he breathed his last breath and he gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit and he allowed himself to die on that cross. As he dies, the Bible says that a storm rolls in and an earthquake shook. And many people say that the tombs of the town were bursted open and people that were dead came back to life. And this stuff really happened. Jesus was crucified. He was a sinless man. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. He never felt fear. He never felt uh, uh, the things that you and I feel sin in sinful terms. He was perfect. This real Jesus was crucified. And then they took him from this cross and they buried him in a tomb that wasn't even his family's tomb. He had to borrow a tomb from a man named Joseph of Arimathea. They take him, they put him in the tomb, they wrapped his body put him in this tomb, and then the soldiers roll a giant stone in front of this tomb. And this really happened. Now, the disciples, once Jesus was arrested, they were much like us right now. They were sheltering in place. They, they hid. They took off. They were gone. They didn't want to be arrested. They didn't want to be counted as Jesus' disciples. They were fearful of persecution coming their way. And they were hidden away somewhere. And after three days of despair, after three days of hopelessness, after three days of not knowing their future, the Bible says that Mary and Martha woke up on that Easter Sunday and some of the other ladies, I think it even listened, a lady named Joanna and a few other ladies that were disciples, they got up and they went to the tomb early that Sunday morning, the first day of the week. It was three days later. And when they get to the tomb, they're there to anoint Jesus's body with spices and to take care of him for, and prepare him. When they get there, the giant stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb had been moved. And the Bible says the two angels sat on top of the stone. And they looked at Mary and Martha and the ladies and they said, what are you doing here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. This Jesus that you're looking for, he is risen. He has been resurrected. And the ladies begin to look at each other like, could this be? Could this really have happened? And they take off and they run back to the disciples and they're talking the whole way that Jesus is alive. The thing that he said he would do, he did. He is risen just like he said. And they run into the room and they get the disciples and they say, Jesus has been resurrected. The tomb is empty. And, and Thomas, they say Thomas doubted it. 
But Peter jumps up and he runs to the tomb to see for himself. He had to see for himself. And Peter gets there, he looks in the tomb, and sure enough, there are the grave clothes that Jesus once wore. And all of a sudden, all the life force went back into Peter and he was revived from his crisis of betraying Jesus to Jesus being dead and this hopeless feeling. All of a sudden, he's alive and he runs back to the, to the other disciples and he says, it's true, Jesus is not in the tomb. And Thomas, again, is doubtful. And he says, unless I see the wounds, in his hands, and unless I see the, the wounds in his feet and the piercing of his side, then I won't believe it. And guess what happened in that moment? Jesus walks through the wall and appears with the disciples and says, I'm alive. It's exactly as I said it would be. Look, Thomas, come here, feel the wounds in my hand. Touch the place in my side where they pierce me. And Thomas runs and touches Jesus's hands and his feet and he touches the side and he says, it's true, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then Jesus says, come on, let's sit down. Let's have a meal together. And I love this about Jesus. Like it was that, that spending time together, spending time eating and fellowshipping and sharing stories. So Jesus brings them back to that table, that beautiful table. And they have a meal together. And then as they're going on, they're enjoying life. The disciples' life force has gone back up. They feel like they're ready to conquer the world. They're Jesus, the King of Kings. He's back. He's alive. Jesus drops a bombshell on him and says, you remember guys, before I was arrested, before I was crucified, I told you that I was going to have to leave and that you wouldn't see me anymore. And all of a sudden their hearts had to sink again. Like, no, we, we just got you back. And Jesus, like, you, he was like, you need me to leave. It's to your benefit that I go away. Now, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as strangers. I'm going to send you another comforter. Another translation says, I'm going to send someone to you who's just like me, who's familiar like me. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the whole reason that Jesus went through this whole process was, yes, to pay the penalty for our sins. Yes, to be resurrected for us to be new in Christ. But it was also to reset us to the garden experience where we can now have the Holy Spirit come live inside of us so that we can have a relationship with God the Father the same way that Jesus had a relationship with God the Father, an intimate relationship. And Jesus says, this is why I have to leave. And so sure enough, they go out and Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells them, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, he, and before he left, he says, I want you to go and wait for this promise, this comforter I told you about. I want you to go and wait for him. And when he comes, you're gonna know it. Is this spirit's going to fall upon you and it's going to be like fire and you're going to receive power and you're going to become a different person. And so with those words, Jesus descends and uh, ascends into heaven. And then an angel says, this same Jesus who just left is going to also return in the same way. So this is our hope that Jesus is going to come back someday. So the disciples leave, they go and they wait in Solomon's porch. And they're there for about 50 days until the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them this Holy Spirit that you and I have access to now. Now, I told this whole story in the way that I did because Easter was the greatest reset of all time. You know, this has been a reset for us, getting our priorities straight, but Easter was the best reset ever because it brought us back to, to the way things were supposed to be. See, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. He fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. He, he set it up so that he could reset us into a new covenant to where it's a walk with God in the garden. 
Now, earlier I asked you to open to, to Romans chapter 5, and so we're going to go ahead and read Romans 5, verse 12 through 21, just to give us a, a real good context of what this day represents. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provisions of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's the point? Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. He was perfect in every way. He was spotless. And he was, he was announced by John the Baptist when he first appeared on the scene. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Jesus entered as the man who was going to come and fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And Jesus did this. This really happened. He took our punishment so that we could become new creations. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've asked him into your heart, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You have died to the old patterns and have been reborn into new patterns. So today, in closing, I want to take the question that the angels asked the ladies when they came to the tomb, and I want to switch it up, and I want to ask you this question today. Why are you seeking dead things where living things are? See, what happens is often we become a Christian and we still are looking for dead things in our life. We're still looking for destruction. We're still looking for what's wrong. And Jesus came to change our attention, to change our focus from what was lacking, from what was wrong, from what was sinful into what is righteous. Now, if you're a new creation, our, our perspective to sh should shift right now into what's righteous in my life right now. And as I devote more attention to righteous, living, holy things, the things that are dead will disappear into the background. The things that are insignificant will fall away. 
but it doesn't happen by devoting attention to those things. It happens by becoming a new creation and now setting my sight on righteous things, on living things. I don't wanna look for death when I'm a new creation, I'm alive. I don't wanna look for destruction when I have been remade into a new creation. And so today, I just wanna ask you, have you asked Jesus Christ into your heart? Do you have a personal relationship with him? And I wanna say that. It is a personal relationship. He is a personally present God. He cares about the feelings of our infirmities. He cares about the things that we go through, the things that we're feeling, the, the thoughts that go through our head. He cares about them. And that's why I ask, do you have a personal relationship with God? Not a relationship that your dad had or your mom had or your brothers have with God or sisters. Your own relationship with God. He's your God. If you haven't had that relationship, or if that relationship has fallen on hard times, make it right right now. I'm just going to say a simple prayer before we do a closing prayer. And if you want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, would you just bow your heads right now, right in your home, take your family's hands, join hands there, pray this prayer with me. This would be a great time for you young people. If you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, this would be the perfect time to do it, right in your homes. So join hands and say this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. Jesus, I thank you for saying yes, for knowing ahead of time what you would have to go through and going through it anyway. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you for being a pure, spotless lamb. I believe that you're the son of God And I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I want a personal relationship with you. That's my relationship with you. I believe this has happened now. And I am excited and I expect to go on a journey and to go on a garden walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so happy for those of you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever asked Jesus into your heart. I celebrate that right now. It's beautiful. It's the whole reason we're here. It's easy to lose the plot in all of the life and the things that are our responsibilities, but this is what life is about. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again so that we could be alive. Now I want to pray one more prayer for everyone. And I want to, I want to, I want to see an activation of life. In your, in your life, in every area. I want to see life spring up all over. So would you just pray with me? Would you just come into agreement with me? Father God, I thank you for new life in Christ. I thank you because the old is gone and the new has come, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And right now, I declare over every family, over every person watching this, that new life would spring up all over, that their attention will be diverted from dead things. Their attention will be diverted from worrisome things to righteous things, to light, to life. Right now, change our perspective. Give us new eyes and new ears. Help us to see what you've freely given us. God, let us live up to the standard of free people. Let us live up to the standard of people who are alive in Christ. And God, I pray that we will see miracles and testimonies and signs and wonders as people who have come alive. May spring happen in all of our families and all of our homes. We speak to dead things to come alive in Jesus' name. Father, may every home be blessed. May every person see righteousness spring up. May our attention be 
be honed in to the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and it, I would encourage you to take communion as a family. Sit down, take this moment. Right now is the time. Get crackers. You don't have crackers. Grab some Doritos or Fritos. It doesn't matter. Just get something that represents the body of Christ and a, a juice or a drink of some kind that represents his blood and take communion as a family. And then when you're done, go have a fun family Easter egg hunt. Enjoy the day. Laugh together. Uh, adults, let's get involved in this too. I think it'd be a perfect time for it. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. I love you. We're praying for you. Be blessed in Jesus' name.